All right, folks, welcome to Nino's Corner.tv. Once again, I got Ali Sayadatan. 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 <laughs> I keep messing up every time. Sorry. Uh, folks, this is going to be good. We're going to be talking about the rise of the Antichrist. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, you've been following the series that we've been doing. Each episode has been outstanding. It's, I mean, you got to put your thinking caps on. And uh, I, for me, this is like my favorite subject, Ali. I love this so much. Uh, but first, let me knock out a quick commercial, folks. Flip City, Flip City, America's last laugh. Um, you all need to check out Flip City Magazine. I laughed the whole way through it. I'm happy to partner with Flip City Magazine because they are totally independent, raw, and uncensored. And I think they are making a positive, positive impact on culture. If you were a fan of Mad before they went woke, you will love Flip City Magazine. I think they're better than Mad ever was. Flip City roasts the same nonsense I do. Flip City Magazine is 100% independent, printed and uncensored free speech platform for artists and writers. Nothing else exists that's like it. Fighting the culture war with comedy and art continues the American tradition of ridiculing bad ideas by laughing at them. I love this. Uh, smart and flipping hilarious. Um, you can go to Flip City. Uh, Flip City Magazine wants you to keep laughing at the insanity. So subscribe today at Flip City Mag, FlipCityMag.com, or click the link below in the description, folks. Click the link below. All right, Ali, let's rock and roll here, man. The final confrontation, the rise yeah. of the Antichrist. This is all interesting stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. So, and and it's useful for the times that we're living in because we may be very well the generation that's going to see this stuff. And I think that's why this information is coming out for us more than ever before. Um, so basically, uh, let me start uh, with, with this idea. When you look at the Bible, when you look at the um, Old Testament, uh, which is kind of the foundational text of the New Testament, when you look at the Old Testament, the way that before the Christians, the Jewish canon divided it, they had all of the prophets in one section with the historical books because God would say things prophetically, then they would occur on the stage of history, and then they would record it like God said and God did. This was the underlying basic of the narrative of the Bible, God saying and God doing, God saying and God doing. And so in a way, history is his story in, 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 in a real way. So they had all these prophecies with the historical books in one section. And then one of the prophets, Daniel, they had him in a completely other section. Why? Well, when I look at all the uh, writings of the prophets of Israel, they focus on the story of Israel and they forecast a brilliant future, that God is going to heal the world, God is going to redeem the world. Basically, God is going to usher in a utopia. That is where the Bible kind of takes us, you know. And humanity has an incredible destiny in the great cosmic order, and the earth is the birthplace of God's immortal children and all of that. It's very empowering, very energizing, very hopeful. But then when you look at the book of Daniel, what's interesting about that book, which is put in another section in the Jewish canon, is that it's not even written in Hebrew. It's written in Aramaic, most of it. And Aramaic was the international language of diplomacy of the time of Daniel, the way that English is now, the way that French was before English, etc. And back then, when different uh, kings wanted to uh, you know, sign treaties or talk to each other, that was the language they would use, Aramaic. And 
It's written in that language because the topic of that prophetic book is different. It's not about Israel and it's about this utopia. It's about the rise and fall of the empires of the world. That's what's different about the book of Daniel. The entire book is about the empires of the world or, or the Gentile nations, not Israel, the chosen people, not it's her Messiah, the King of Kings, not the people of faith in the God of Israel, not that part of, of reality, the other part of reality, the one that is, you know. And what's interesting about that part of reality is that when you look at the temptations of Christ and Satan tells him, you know, all the kingdoms, dominion has been given to me, he says, over all the kingdoms of the earth, and I will give them to whom I will. That's what Satan says to Jesus. You've got to let that register. Dominion, he says, has been given to me over all the kingdoms of the earth, and I will give them to whomever I will. And, and what were those kingdoms at the time of Jesus? The Roman Empire, the Greek world, the Egyptians, the Mesopotamian empires like Babylon and Syria, the, the Medo-Persian empire, the Persians, the Indians, the Chinese, right? And you could argue that perhaps there was a Mesoamerican civilization here 2,000 years ago. That's these empires that we read about in history books, right? were apparently under the control of the prince of this world, which is this fallen angel that, that we call the adversary uh, or the shining one. We have a name. We don't know what his name is. We have, we have titles for him. And he turns around to Jesus and says, I know Israel has been given to you, but all, but all these other empires to me. If you come on my side, you can get to keep Israel and I'll give you the empires, but you'll have to worship me as your God. And he says, no, it's written only worship God, Satan, behind me. So he rejects that offer, and that's why Satan goes to plan B, which is kill him. If you can't bring him on your side, then take the competition out. Why? Because he puts his own guys on the throne of the world. And I want to start by bringing this angelic and hybrid dimension to the way the Bible understands the world order, which was what my ministry discovered and what led to that documentary that people can watch on my website, thinkagainproductions.com. Basically, UFOs, Angels, and Gods is the name of the documentary. Basically, what, what, what became very real was, first of all, that the way the Bible understood the world went back to a passage in Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 and 9, which was that when God divided the nations, he gave and, and set the boundaries for the countries. He did so according to the number of the sons of God, which is an idiom for the fallen angels in the Bible. And Jacob he chose for himself. So the spiritual divisions, the nations were given into the hand of the sons of God, which is an idiom for fallen angels. And then I discovered that they posed as gods to the people of the ancient world, that they then began to give knowledge to the people of the ancient world, the knowledge of building temples, uh, the knowledge of writing, the knowledge of uh, mathematics, uh, architecture, all kinds of bodies of knowledge and laws. Like you look at the Code of Hammurabi, where the sun god Champs, who's known by Apollo, gives a law. And the most recent example of this, as I said in our last talk, is Islam, you know, where suddenly this Arab says that he, he got this revelation, which became the Quran and the basis of the Islamic civilization. But then whether well, it's the story of Moses receiving the law at Sinai or Jesus coming from heaven and his words altering the Roman Empire, all the civilizations attribute their genesis to these gods. And so one of the things these guys did is they chose kings and they set them up as priests. That's how urban, urbanization began. Urbanization 
in from the point of view of anthropologists when it comes to the cradle of civilization, Mesopotamia, is not about people moving from farms to cities. It's about the reorganization of the culture from patriarchies and tribes to centered around the priest king. Who, who so, had, so that was what was really important, was to make the king the priest. The center and the servant of, the... of these fallen angels. And, wow. the, and, and that's how Satan says when a dominion was given you know, to me over all the things, give it to whomever I will. This is how it begins. And this is the birth of the world order. This is what anthropologists call urbanization. This, this is, is why the Vatican is so powerful. For instance, but the, yeah, I mean, the Vatican has all kinds of reasons for being powerful. The, the, there's 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 a struggle in the Vatican between you know two great forces, and 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 the dark side has had a huge huge infiltration. The other centers of Christianity, uh, Antioch, um, Jerusalem, uh, I mean, Alexandria, Odessa. The, so all the centers of Christianity fell to Islam. Jerusalem was destroyed. Rome was the only one left. Uh, Constantinople fell in 1453. And then Rome was infiltrated by the enemy. Can, can I just point out something real quick? Like when I look at like, the new world, God had, had in the Americas in mind where he allowed a place for his people to escape to and the Holy Spirit to continue to minister to people. And, and so, so, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So, no, I was going to ask you, I mean, it seems to me almost like the globalists, like with, with everything that's happening now, that they're following the Bible like a manual, like a playbook. Right, right. They, the bad guys read the Bible for sure, and then they try to use its principles to their advantage. They corrupt it and they teach it, and, and they try to change the fabric of the culture. Um, so, so we'll get to what's happening with the globalists and all that when we get to kind of our world. But let's just build it up very quickly. So, so first of all, in the Bible, you look at, for instance, there are two passages. One is Ezekiel, one in um, Isaiah, where it talks about these worldly kings, the king of Tyre and the king of Babylon. But very quickly, the passage changes, just like, like if it was a movie, it would be like the scene would change in front of your eyes. The passage changes from these earthly, very important rulers of their time to Satan. And right there, both passages begin to suddenly switch to talk about Satan. And it's like, what's going on? It's emphasizing the connection between what, you know, what he says to Jesus, between him and the world order. And so once you realize that the sons of God were the fallen angels and the nations were given into their hands, now a lot of these ideas that are in the Bible, like in Daniel chapter 10, an angel comes from, from heaven to bring message to Daniel but he says that the prince of Persia withstood him. The angel says that the prince of Persia withstood him for 21 days and they had to call for backup. And then he was, he's, he, someone had, Michael had to come and help him while he uh, would continue his journey to Daniel. So there was a power between, behind the Persian Empire that warred with this angel from heaven for 21 days. And that's where I had my UFO sighting in the deserts of Iran. And you've got the power behind Greece that that passage talks about. So there's these powers behind the empires. There is this worldview that comes from uh, the oldest Hebrew copies of the book of Deuteronomy and the Greek copy. And this is what I discovered in the early 2000s, long before people were now talking about it. But this is what led to the documentary, this division that God had taken the nations to the fallen angels and Israel for himself. And that these guys then set up kings over the empires. And that's why Satan can say, hey, they're all under my control. 
And, and when Jesus says to Paul, go and you know minister to the Gentiles and bring the gospel to them, he says in Acts 26, bring them out of darkness to light from the power of Satan to good fellowship of the living God. So there is this idea that Satan was behind the Roman Empire. So how did this express itself? It expressed itself through these pagan religions, through the laws and algorithms of knowledge that were handed down, and through the kings. Now the Bible, then, once it establishes the world system, that it is this combination of the fallen angels and their chosen ones, it adds this dimension of, of the serpent seed. From the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, it says, I'll put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Now, the seed of the woman is Jesus, because the seed is really from the man, but in this case, it's pointing to the virgin birth. And the seed of the serpent, well, that's interesting, because we see later on in Genesis 6, this idea of the sons of God and daughters of men having offsprings with the humans, the giants, the Nephilim. And so we see that there's this intrusion, even into the human you know, DNA genome system, and, and these guys become kings. Like, look at, for instance... Um, you know, the, the story of Gilgamesh, which is a very well-documented king from the south of Iraq. He was a Nephilim, but he, came, he was the king of Uruk. Or Minos, the first king of, the, of Crete, the birth of Western civilization. He was a king. There's warriors like, you know, Hercules and all these guys. But in the Bible, we have Goliath and his four brothers. There were kings. Now, these guys, this was a huge part of human society. It's documented in every nation, in their writings and oral traditions, and in the Bible. You know, there's, and there's a parable of wheat and tares where Jesus says when God planted his seed in the garden and while he was sleeping, the devil came and planted his seed in the garden and the two seeds began to grow together like wheats and tares. And tares are modif genetically modified wheat in Hebrew thought. And they look just like wheat until the very end when they flower and you realize they're not wheat. And so he said, you know, they're going to grow together and the end of the age his angels are going to come and remove the tares and burn them away and collect the wheat and put it in his barns. So, so this intrusion into the human world, if this parable is to be understood as, as this intrusion, it is one that is with us until his second coming. That's why we need a new body. So the world order so has been... Could be, this, this could be like our DNA, maybe? Exactly. We're all maybe infected by it some way or another. And that's why we need a new body. And that's what the resurrected body of Christ is about. The, is, is this is, is the healing of that process, of that problem. So, so the world order, the way the Bible understands the world order, it's not just empires and countries. It is an entire system because the Bible places humanity in a cosmic tale. Okay? It doesn't matter what people believe. I'm, I'm a literature student. I just read the book and tell you what's in it, Right? This is what it says. It places humanity in a cosmic story, and then it presents our history as the result of interaction with this cosmic order. And what I discovered was that the UFO phenomenon was the evidence of this other that comes in the Bibles, the angels, right, good and bad. So the world order is born of the fact that the fallen angels choose their own kings and their own priests, and they give their own rules and laws the way that God chooses the line of David and gives his instructions to Israel, and gives to Solomon the map of how to build a temple, and all of that. The same parallel thing happens in the world order. And, and this is where it gets into this climactic place with, you know, with Satan and Jesus talking to each other about it. So the, first of all, that's what the world order is. They have their hybrids in there, they have their laws, they have their kings, and, and then the Bible then focuses our attention 
on four empires. And some could, some say there's seven, but, and I'll explain both ideas because it's important. So the story starts with Abraham. When God puts his hand on Abraham, this character we meet in Genesis chapter 12, that is going to be the source of the blessing of all the families of the earth. Abraham, he finds himself in a battle with 10 kings. And some of these tribes that the book of Genesis chapter 14 mentions are actually Nephilim tribes, tribes of hybrids. They try to kill Abraham in this war of 10 kings. Then Abraham and his children find themselves in Egypt. Egypt becomes the first real heavy-duty empire that tries to kill the Messianic line and destroy, you know, the, the, the children of Israel. And God comes at the Exodus and defeats this empire, its leader, the Pharaoh, who was seen as a representative of the gods and the spiritual forces that are behind the empire. God says, I will judge the gods of Egypt. Tonight in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, I'm going to go through Egypt and I'm going to judge the gods of Egypt. So it becomes a metaphor not only for the first coming of Christ, but the second coming, where you got this people who are under an imperial system of governance, a world order, and then the leader has received his power from these spiritual forces, which are the fallen angels, and behind him are the fallen angels. But then the deliverer comes, God, through the Passover lamb, which is, we realize, a symbol of Jesus, removes them from this world order of the fallen angels and their chosen Pharaoh, defeats this and judges even the spiritual forces behind this kingdom and sets them up on Mount Sinai into fellowship with himself, with the living God, and ushers in a new age of history. This is in a way a metaphor for the second coming. This is the story of the second coming played out in small. In the second coming, this is going to expand to encompass the entire world. And, and, and the world order is going to be a larger one. So that's Egypt is seen as, as, you know, perhaps the first empire because there are seven. In the book of Revelation, the dragon has seven heads. And so the second one is Assyria. After the Jews leave Egypt, the Hebrews, and they go to Israel, and they set up in this land, they, they, they enter into a dispute with each other after the death of Solomon, and they divide into two, uh, they have a civil war. And some of the tribes, they go to the north and they go around the frame. Anyways, there's a civil war. The northern tribes are conquered by the Assyrian Empire. Egypt goes down in power, Assyria goes up and becomes the second empire in a way that the Bible focuses our attention on. Because there's many empires in the world, but these are the ones that the Bible is focused on. And they always are at war with the will of God as it's expressing itself through the story of Israel and Israel's Messiah. And that's the focus of the empires, right? So they, the Assyrians come to the north and they destroy the northern tribes. They assimilate them. They rape them. This was part of their warfare tactic. They add their bloodline to them. That's why the Jews in the south no longer will see the ones in the north as pure blood. They call them Samaritans. And they'll mm -hmm. always have animosity between each other. So these are the two foundational empires, you know, Egypt and Assyria in this world, in the story of empires. And then we come to the third empire, Babylon. And Babylon is a very important city. It was archaeologists unearthed Babylon in 1850, the German Orientalist Society. And they took 
the gates of Ishtar and they took it to Berlin where you can go see it in the Museum of Berlin. The gates of Ishtar, which was one of the names of this very important fallen angels. And the walls of Babylon were so wide that four chariots could could have races. They had horse races on the walls of Babylon were four oh. chariots. That's how wide it was. And that's why they felt that it, they couldn't be conquered. And so the Babylonians, you know, they conquer Jerusalem. They destroy the Temple of Solomon and they take the Judeans captive. They become now the, the third empire in that sense, Egypt is here. But as far as the story of the focus of the Bible, in the book of Daniel, the king of Babylon has a dream. It's a very important dream in Daniel chapter 2. And no one can understand this dream, but Daniel tells him that God revealed this to him. And it's very interesting some of the things that Daniel says. Listen to this. Daniel says, During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven and answered, saying, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and installs kings. He changes times and seasons. This is God. Right. He removes kings and installs kings. Who's removing and installing kings? God. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and what dwells in light. So, so this is a prophecy that about, this is the dream that the king of Babylon receives. And Daniel tells him, what God has shown you is the sequence of worldly empires until the day that God himself will set up a kingdom on the earth. And you've got to read Daniel chapter 2 or come on Patreon and follow me and I'm going to take you through detail of all of these things. So basically, this is the sequence of world empires. There are four empires outlined. And then at the end, this pebble comes and destroys the imperial order and turns it into dust, but the pebble grows to become a mountain and fills the whole earth. And Daniel says that this dream in the world of imagery and dream language, God is showing you the future and sequence of world empires until the time he establishes one on the earth. Is that, is that the statue that has like the, yes. the, the, what is it, the bronze head or the gold head? And then the head of gold. The... Let's go through it quickly. So the head of gold. And Daniel says, you, king of Babylon, you're the head of gold. So you're the first empire. But after you, there'll be another one, and that's the arms of silver and chest of silver. And, and after the, the Babylonians, the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire, two tribes, the Medo and the Persians, they united. They came and they took Babylon, and they became the second empire. But then Daniel says, there will be a third and Alexander the Great of Macedon came and he took over the Medo-Persian Empire and he brought in the age of the Greeks as imperial force. And, and it, that's the stomach and thighs of bronze. And then the Romans came in 116 BC and they took over Athens and they became the fourth empire, the legs of iron. And, and what happened to Rome? That's very interesting because Rome continued to rule in divided into two legs, the West and the East, right? Now let's talk about the West for a second. Western Rome started to fall into decay with the Germanic tribes coming in. They finished the Rome off. And these, there were 10 tribes, and, and but mainly the Germans, they became Romanized. Instead of continuing to live the way they were in their own culture, 
they started to learn from the Catholic Church how to be Roman. And so the, the, the German leader Charlemagne in the 8th century, he launches the Holy Roman Empire, he calls it. And that becomes the first of a new age of empire, of, empire, of, of Rome. And gradually come the Renaissance, the Europeans take the knowledge of antiquity, take the knowledge of Roman Empire, and they start to bring it back to Europe. So we start to see that uh, people are reading the old Roman writings, they're rediscovering our architecture in a new way, science, cosmogony, the, the study of space, the fact that our languages came from Latin. And, and so Europe becomes Romanized again and then divides into republics and um, continues the legacy of Rome. And when it comes to America, I was just reading, you know, uh, just a few minutes before we logged in. I was just looking America at would be the feet. Well, the, the Roman continues. Perhaps the single greatest example of these architectural styles is the United States Capitol building. I'm reading off this website for which construction began in 1793. Thomas Jefferson wanted Congress housed in a replica of an ancient Roman temple. Since the Capitol in Richmond, Virginia was an example of Roman cubic architecture, he thought the federal capital should be modeled after a spherical temple. This is from a government website, AOC.gov, uh, V, uh, explore the capital. It's, it's telling about the architecture, the whole idea of the Senate, you know, the Roman Senate and the American Senate. Uh, I had this Roman history professor in university used to tell me that there's never been any country closer to the Romans than our Yankee friends to the South. That's mm. what he used to say. So Rome continues and has many heads, gets divided into many heads, and has the sign of the eagle always, mm. whether it's the Germans, the French, right, right. the British, and the Americans. The bald eagle. The, the eagle of Rome, which was a sign of Zeus, Jupiter, the god of Rome, which I believe was Satan. And then what happens to the eastern part, Constantinopolis, which is the eastern branch of Rome, uh, is conquered by the Ottomans in 1453, the Muslims take over, and the king, the, the royal house of Constantinopolis escapes to Moscow. And the Moscow leaders, they decide that they are going to continue the legacy of Eastern Rome, and they become the third Rome. That's what they call themselves, the third Rome. And they change their title to Tsar, which means Caesar. It's the Slavic way of pronouncing Caesar. In German, you say Kaiser. In uh, Slavic and Russian, you say Tsar. English continues to say it the way the Romans did, Caesar. We just say it the way the Latin does. So you've got Caesar, Kaiser, Tsar, the leaders, you know, and then they take the two-headed eagle of Byzantium as the symbol of this third Rome from Constantinopolis to Moscow. Because Constantinopolis was the Latin name, the Roman name of the city of Byzantium, which was the Greek name. So it was a very ancient city. The Romans took over Byzantium, and in the honor of Emperor Constantine, called it the city of Constantine, or in Greek, Constantinopolis. Polis just means city. And when the Ottoman Empire came, the Muslims, and took over Constantinopolis, um, the, the Russians then made Moscow the third Rome, and they took the sign of Byzantium, the two-headed eagle, and they made it their symbol. And that's what you see on the Russian Federation. There's a horseman and there's a two-headed eagle. 
that two-headed eagle is the two-headed eagle of Byzantium. Mm. So Moscow becomes the third, the Eastern Rome. And so Rome, it continues to live and expand into a modern industrial uh, state. And it goes from Moscow through the European capitals to D.C., includes mm. Canada and, and the British Empire. And so this is this is becomes the new Rome, and we're still in that leg. Now, the feet, the ten horns, the Bible talks about ten kings that will come to power. And I believe that these ten kings will come again from the east and west of Rome, which is Moscow to D.C. through the European capitals, the strongest, most industrial, economically most advanced, technologically most advanced, militarily most advanced part of the world. The, the part of the world that continues to dominate the rest of the world, essentially, and has been for 2,000 years. Rome has continued to reign over all the other empires because this is how God gave it. And, and this is where Satan's throne is. If you kind of look at the altar of Zeus, which is something that we discovered, and I talked about this in our last uh, conversation, that the altar of Zeus was the throne of Satan, according to Jesus, in his letter to the church of Pergamum. That is in Berlin. And it is from Germany that the second stage of the modern Roman Empire begins with Charlemagne after the fall of Italy, after the fall of ancient Rome, of imperial Rome. But so it doesn't fall, it continues to grow and expand, and we are still there. But now we're waiting for the emergence of these ten kings. But what is interesting, what the Bible tells us about these ten kings, is he says, and where you saw iron mixed with clay in this prophecy of Daniel, yes, the feet, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not adhere one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So it's saying that this final world government of the ten kings, which the book of Revelation talks about, but presents it as ten horns. And horns is a symbol of military might. You know, so you've got their their rulers because they come out of the, the seven heads, the seven in you know, you can have a head, like let's say if the Greek world is, is an empire. It's a head. But from that head, many horns will rise because there are many kings and generals that may come out of the one head of the Greek empire. You see? Right. So, so there are seven empires. You've got the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, that's three, the Medo-Persians, four, the Greek, five, the Rome, six, and the seventh one is ahead of us. It's the empire that is so The seventh one is coming. Is coming. The final empire is coming. That, that would be the new world order. That would be what a new world order. Each time the world order changes, it enters into in nineteen forty. Well, this is written. In other words, in other words, this is written. This is going to happen. Yes. yes, we are headed towards a final world empire with a final world leader. I'm going to talk about him in a second, and a final world war because there's been there's two world wars, but there's going to be a third one, and it's in it's in the context of the third world war. That the Messiah arrives. Which I mean is starting now. You can see it. Right. You can see kind of, you know, the, the, the world yeah. dividing and, and, and the foundations are already, you can see it. So this, this final empire is interesting because it says, as it teaches us about this final empire, it says, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not adhere. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And 
and so 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 it talks about the ten toes, and it talks about the ten toes being of iron mixed with clay. But then it tells us something about this mixture of iron and clay. It says they shall mingle their seed with the seed of man. And the word they is the Hebrew plural pronoun. It means like the he's, like usted, they, you know, or I don't know, but, but you know what I mean, eels, like the, 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 the plurality of masculinity. Hmm. And it's like, what is this all about? Well, what I discovered with the alien abduction phenomena, once I understood that there was a connection between these UFOs and the concept of angels in the Bible, and that the angels divided into good and bad, and I looked into the modern UFO phenomenon and saw that the heart of it was the creation of hybrids and realized that this tied into a tradition going back to Genesis 6 of these guys creating hybrids. And the Bible was saying there was animosity between the serpent seed and the seed of the woman and talked about this parable of tares and wheat going through history. And even these guys were kings in the ancient world over humans. All of this world that was destroyed at, when the cross happened and Jesus you know, took power um, and he ascended to heaven and he took authority. He's sitting on a throne right now and he sent the Holy Spirit and as the Holy Spirit went into the Roman world and the Jewish missionaries like Paul brought the gospel to the Romans, the entire world order, the spiritual world order toppled. And we, the, the story of these beings and their hybrid offsprings went in a way back under the shadows as underground 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 and as god literally they're underground right like they're literally they're underground they have bases but but god said that at the end of this age because we're in the final age of imperial history at the end of this age god would allow a resurgence of this and so he said that in matthew 24 when he they asked him about the end of the age and he said it would be like the days of noah and the days of Noah were the days of the Nephilim, the sons of God. And what we're seeing in, in, in the scroll of Daniel about the final empire is, is like what Jesus said. It would be like the days of Noah. The final empire is one in which there'll be another commingling of seeds. And that's what the modern day UFO phenomenon and the creation of hybrids is perhaps the modern day fulfillment of the beginnings of this prophecy, there is again a commingling of seeds. Hybrids are being created, like in the days of Noah. And this prophecy of Daniel says that this would happen in the final empire and defines the mixture of clay and iron in the context of this commingling of seeds. And the very next verse says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which leads us to believe that the ten toes, these ten kings, are of the commingling of seeds. They are Nephilim kings. Once again, we will have Nephilim kings over us like we have had so many times in past history, like the, like the king of Uruk, you know, like the warriors. And the Nephilim, are you saying the Nephilim are just hybrids or are they the giants? I mean, they're the the hybrids, hybrids and giants, right? Nephilim is the Hebrew for the giants is English. Hybrids is modern UFO language. But you're, you're just saying the same thing in three okay. different words. So, so the hybrids or the Nephilim or the giants, this time around, they're created, created in the laboratory. If you watch my documentary, the second half we interviewed Dr. David Jacobs, the world's foremost scholar concerning alien abductions. And you'll see in detail how these guys are created. In the ancient world, they were giants because they just were in the world where people worship the gods and their offsprings. 
But in our world, they want to infiltrate, and that's what they're doing. They've been, it's, there's all, all the modern research is about how they're infiltrating culture. And these are labs that are underground, deep underground military bases, and things of that nature. Spaceships. The labs are also in spaceships. That's where these guys are taking off planet, off the planet. And so, so they're inside of these, you know, heavenly craft, whatever they are. Um, and I know it sounds crazy, but no, this is well documented. This is what's that's why for me this does not sound crazy at all especially if you remember that we are the children of the one who was made in the image of god that we are in a cosmic tale and a large story that involves god and his angels that we humans are part of a larger ecostructure a larger world a larger tale and that's why it's normal for that larger world to express itself in our history it's secularism which is the veil that they've created for the west that has reduced the world to these very simple, you know, oh, you just go to work, right. there's the rat race, you create kids, you die, etc. Um, but And then there's a portion of the world where you have the Islamic veil, the Hindu veil, um, and, and, and the church, you know, tries to grapple with the supernatural through the lens of secularism. But if you just remove the lens and accept the Bible and look for the evidence of what it says, you will see it everywhere. And this is the story we're in. This is the true nature of reality. We're not who our culture says we are. We are the children of God in a very long and cosmic tale. And the Bible is telling us the sequence of world events. So as God is taking humanity towards redemption and a utopia and a healing and its destiny, which I'd like to talk about next time in our final wrap-up of all of this, suddenly the Bible pauses, especially through the book of Daniel, that, you know what, there's going to be a sequence of world empires uh, where the fallen angels are going to have a say, and their offsprings, and their worldview, and it's going to come to a head. It's going to come to a climax. So let's talk about the climax. The seed of the serpent, if these ten kings are the commingling of seeds, well, the seed of the serpent, which is in Genesis chapter 3, things verse 15, the seed of the serpent, the seed of the woman, there's going to be a final seed of the serpent. Maybe the serpent seed is this intrusion into the culture throughout history, but it also has an end times final climactic fulfillment. An Antichrist. An Antichrist. So let's talk about him now. Uh, one of the first places we see him is... Do you, do you, hold on. Do you believe the Antichrist is going to be an actual being, or do you think it's just yes. going to be the Antichrist is going to be the world, world leader? Government? He's going to be a world leader. So it's going to be a man. 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 And, and he will be a hybrid, right? It's going to be a hybrid. He comes from these, you know, the, the, the world of the, of the Roman Empire, from Moscow, D.C., through Europe. These, I think the Ten Kings will rise from there because they do hook into the more ancient empires of Persia, Mesopotamia, basically the Middle East, kind of chooses allies, whether it's Russia or whether it's America, the two heads of the Roman Empire. The modern heads of the Roman Empire are, are D.C. and Moscow. These are the This is East and West Rome extended from ancient times. You follow the story to our age. It will come into the hand of these two capitals. And America at this point represents the main sector of Western Rome and Moscow of Eastern Rome, right? Now, God's work and his Holy Spirit and his values are throughout the peoples. There is people in Russia that really believe in Jesus, and there's people in America. And, and America has more of a democratic system, so the Christians can influence the scepter of rule and wrestle with the globalists and whatever, right? So this is kind of where we are in the story. 
And we're going to see Rome reunite. That's what the coalition of these ten kings are. I have I heard this Messianic rabbi once explain it this way, and I thought it was brilliant, and I wanted to repeat it. He said that in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham that he'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. He puts basically a shield around Abraham with those words because Abraham's seed has a destiny, a prophetic destiny. And that prophetic destiny can't be broken because it leads us all the way into the Messianic kingdom, you see. That's why there's so much effort to destroy Israel. That's what the Holocaust, Hitler, was all about. Because if you take them out, you break scripture, and we don't ever get to there. And the age of empire continues. It's a strategic hit by the enemy. As you said, they read the Bible, and they go, okay, so this is the link. If we take this link out, these prophecies can be fulfilled. It's a playbook. It's a playbook for them. It's a playbook for them. That's why there's so much pressure against Israel. It's about God's will. That's what they're challenging and, and God and the destiny that God has for all of us. But it's expressing through this one nation. So it's important that we support them, basically. So basically, um, this guy, this character that emerges, this is what this Messianic rabbi said. He said. He said that the Roman Empire destroyed Jerusalem and scattered the Jewish people. Destroyed the temple in 780. So what did God do? God did the same to Rome. God broke Rome into pieces. And that's why we have all these heads that emerge with the sign of the eagle, but they're all like little kingdoms in different places from Moscow to D.C. through here. But he said that now that Jerusalem is reunited and it's because of the Jewish commonwealth again and Israel has started to come back to this land, God will allow Rome to reunite. So once again, we now will see the final empire begin to take shape. First, we have to look for the coalition of these 10 kings. And then from them comes one leader. This leader is mentioned all throughout the Bible. One of the first places that we see him is in the character of Nimrod. After the flood, Nimrod gathers the people behind him and says, God killed our ancestors in the flood and destroyed these great guys, the sons of God, who are giving us all kinds of knowledge. And he actually rallies the people against God. That's what Nimrod does. And he's the first type of this character we're going to encounter. Then we see other characters, you know, in history, but prophetically, Psalm chapter 2, which was written 3,000 years ago by King David, It says, why do the nations rage and the kings of the earth gather against God and against his Messiah, his anointed, his Mashiach? That's what it says. Why do the kings of the earth rage and why do the nations rage and the kings of the earth gather against God and against his anointed? And you know the the, the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in the caves Mm -hmm. of Qumran? There's a study written by some guy 2,000 years ago. Some guy was reading Psalm chapter 2. And he saw that all these kings would gather against the God of Israel and against his Messiah. And he said to himself, wow, they all have to have a leader. These kings, they can't just independently formulate this thought. Someone must lead them. So he said there was a king of the king of the nations. And that's true. We see this character come up in the Bible. He's called the Assyrian, sometimes in the prophetic language. And we see that Antiochus Epiphanes is presented as a a type of of this guy. Then we come in the New Testament, and Jesus actually talks about it in Matthew 24, but Paul really talks about him. He calls him the son of perdition. They say to Paul, you know, is, has the Messiah come back? Have we, have we lost? Because they thought the Messiah was going to come during their lifetime. The early apostles, the disciples of Jesus, and their earliest followers believed that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. 
to take out the Roman Empire. In fact, when Jesus was leaving the earth, that's the last thing the disciples said to him. Are you going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel now? But when he goes to the Father, God gives him the book of Revelation, which is a continuation of that conversation, and talks about this final world order. So this final empire, which will be headed by this character that Jesus and Paul and the book of Revelation talk about extensively, and many of the books of the Old Testament talk about both prophetically and in type, which means they create him as a character of ancient history, and then the prophecies say there'll be another guy just like this one. So there's a final world leader, and he is connected to the serpent seed. And the book of Revelation says that the dragon will give him all his power and authority. So even though for the past 2,000 years we've seen the Holy Spirit you know, take down the rule of these beings, and these empires scatter into different heads of the Rome, we're going to see a final world order where they come back together. Well, we'll once again, we see Satan... Could the dragon be China, you think? The dragon in the Bible's system is Satan. Okay. So, so the dragon, this fallen angel, because he said to Jesus, I have dominion over all the kings of the earth. I'll give them to whomever I will. He's going to get a chance to give it to his, to his seed, the seed of the serpent. He's mm. going to receive this power. And the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation describe this final empire as being very different from anything that's ever gone before. Now that we're there, we're seeing technology, artificial intelligence, um, and um, uh, you know, digital currency, microchips, all kinds of things that never were there before in history. CERN, available to- CERN I think CERN's a big player in this. Th- that kind of would be connecting us to the fact that there's going to be angels like it, coming out of the ground like there's fallen angels in the river phrase the book of revelation says the river phrase holds four angels under in prison from the days before the flood and that they were going to be let out and believe CERN can do that and and cern might be a connect yeah i think that cern could be very much the a door opener like the key the key oh. um then you've got like um you mentioned China. China would fit in what the Bible classifies as the kings of the East. China right now is entered a portion of its economic cycle, which is called deleveraging. It's like the Great Depression in America. China has entered the beginning of a period of economy like the Great Depression. That's why right now you see on Twitter, I don't know if you ever use Twitter, but, but it's, it's, you, know, you can see news and there's all this footage that Chinese are putting up of riots in front of banks because right. so they many have tanks banks right banks. now. They have armed tanks there right now, blocking yeah. people and withdrawing. They're holding back their savings since April. They told them in April, March that we're just having a um, a technical change in the way the computer system. You can't access your savings for like twenty four hours, and it's been months now, and they, they still can. And now the government has classified their savings as investment products, and they can't touch it. So they're having liquidity problems in the banks. If the people take the money, the banks collapse. And so China is right now economically on a major downturn that's going to go out. China is out, basically, as, as, as this idea is going to compete with, uh, with America. Now, America itself, since 9-11, was, was caught up in this endless series of wars in the Middle East that emptied the treasury. And economically, all the money printing has created massive amount of inflation. We are now really at a very interesting point in, in, in the economic power of America, which is this. If 
the Federal Reserve of the United States continues to keep interest rates rising to kill inflation, even though that'll put a lot of pressure on the American economy on a short term, would actually uh, help it prosper on the long term. But if in September the head of the Federal Reserve changes his mind and decides that he's going to pause and not bring interest rates higher and pour money back into the system and, and go the other way, it will, it will actually, because the economy of the world is very weak right now, China is down, Russia and Ukraine are in a war, Europe is completely down economically. We don't really know the, the true strength of the American economy, yet there's data coming out over the next month that will clarify more for us. But if the American economy is so also down that the Federal Reserve can't raise rates and has to now pour money back into the system to save the American economy, that will then launch America onto major hyperinflation. Essentially, it could be possible that by the time we get to 2030, we will complete the super cycle between the two Great Depressions, 1930 and 2030. And America will enter into this lost decade, they call it, which is deleveraging. Uh, 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 so we get into climax around 2030. Yeah, I think that, that, that America's power climaxes in the 2020s. And, 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 the, and the world order headed by America, which began at the end of World War II, ends in 2030. And now we, we, we can see in the 2030s the rise of the Ten Kings because America... Well, in other words, this is like Agenda 2030. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so you, you'll see American power come a little bit lower. It will, America will have to enter more and more into a coalition with the other eagles in order to continue to rule the world, the eagles need each other to rule the world in, and hold back the might of the larger population bases of China and India. And if they can then tap into the resources of the Middle oh, East. Like, so do you think we'll see the Antichrist at around 2030? Do you think that's think when he appears? I think we'll see him rise in the 2030s, yes. I think in the, in the 2030s will be a time of great economic hardship and social disparity, meaning that people are getting so divided according to worldview that they're no longer going to listen to each other. They might even no longer accept whoever becomes the leader of their countries. And that kind of an environment where the people get super divided with each other to the point they don't even accept the legitimacy of their own government, where they economically become weak, and competitors from the outside start to you know, push back against the power of, of a country that was at the top of the food chain, that is always, it has always been historically the mark of the changing of the world order. Like it says here in the book of Daniel, God sets up kings and God chooses the times and seasons of history. Every single time the world order is about to change, the same forces align. Economic weakness, a rebellion and difference of worldview, the fall of the government, and the rise of competitive powers. That begins, so that in a way has already begun. You know, right now Russia pushed in, China is trying to take Taiwan, and the world power, the United States, is not going to war with any of these guys. And that's usually the way it begins. It's afraid to go to war because it might lose. So it actually yeah. doesn't go to war. It, it just tries to control it through the economy and levers and this and that. It's it's already showing that it's backing down a little bit. And do you think there's a like a time frame? Because I mean, obviously there is. Because it seems like all the agendas are speeding up right now. 
So time the frame was the 2030s as being the time of, of this economic downturn, which gives rise to strong leaders. People want strong leaders to rise, to rescue them from this incredibly bad depressed economy of the 2030s. Mm. And that's when we see the 10 kings come to power. Because, you know, and they form the coalition of the eagles. Then it says in the Bible that this new leader arises after the ten kings. He takes out three of them, it says. And then he then becomes the leader of the seven that are left. And that's the Antichrist. Mm. So I would say that close to the end of the 30s, we will see the, the rise of the Antichrist. It'll basically, the 20th century is acting as a template for the 21st century. The Great Depression the rise of fascism, the rise of Hitler. Hitler would be a mm. type of Wow, so it's like cyclical. It's cyclical. It's, it's it, you know, they say history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. So then, you know, there's a wow. war. You can, people can, I have this uh, thing on my uh, on my YouTube channel about the, the, the rise of Russia and Iran and, and possibility of the fulfillment of a prophecy of the war of Gog and Magog. That may happen in the late 2020s like 29, 2029, 2030, which would then really, a war of that magnitude would really kill the struggling economy that may be born of, of continued inflation, especially if we have an economic crash later this year and and they have to globally pour a lot more money into the system to pull us out of it. So, so the Antichrist right now is probably in his 20s or 30s. Well, yeah, no, that's a question I can't answer. It's a pure speculation. Yeah, I mean, just, they just well, logically dig it, like, wow. By the, way, by the way, people should understand that even some of the stuff you and I are talking about right now is speculative. You know, we're kind of imagining. The part that's real is the Bible says there's going to be a final empire, a final world leader, and it tells us that it's going to be of the serpent seed, and it's going to receive the power of the dragon. It's going to rise from the fourth empire, which is Rome, and it is going to challenge God, it's going to be like David and Goliath. Why was Goliath a Nephilim? Because he was a type of the Antichrist. And David was the was the you know great grandfather of the Messiah. So he was a type of the Messiah. So the, the battle of David and Goliath was kind of a small story or the final battle of this guy. So he's going to then rule for seven years. And that is how long World War II lasted, 1939 to 45, like, you know, there was a seven-year period from the Poland falling to Hitler and until the end of the war. So he's going to rule for seven years. But the Bible then focuses on the last three and a half years of his rule as being the worst part of it. And there's going to be lots of judgments on his kingdom, the way that the Pharaoh of Egypt received judgments and plagues. You know, the 10 plagues that Moses brought on the Pharaoh of Egypt? The same thing is going to happen to this guy. That was, in a way, a prototype of the final empire. There are three main stories in the Old Testament. The days of Noah, which was the days of the sons of God, and led to the flood. The days of the Exodus, which was how they were delivered through the Passover lamb, which is a sign of Christ, and the Pharaoh of Egypt and his spiritual forces. And the days of the desolation of the temple in the book of Daniel. There's three and a half years where the temple is desolate and it culminates to this rebellion by the house of the Maccabees that reestablishes the temple of Jerusalem. And, and that is called Hanukkah. And Jesus celebrated Hanukkah because we see that in the Bible. In John chapter 10, verse 20, around there, he goes to celebrate Hanukkah. And they ask him, are you the Messiah? And the reason they ask him that is because 
it was during this time that the Jews had been able to throw off this Greek empire headed by Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a type of the Antichrist, and God had given them victory, and they were able to rededicate the temple to God and light the, the, the candle of God. The light, the, the light of God's you know, religion was to be able to lit, lit again in this one temple in the whole world. And they believed that this victory was a sign that the Messiah would come during this festivity and throw the Romans out, the way that 160 years ago they had thrown the Greeks out. And that's why they said to Jesus during this festivity, are you the Messiah? Because they thought that if he was going to declare himself, now would be the time. So this is this is this three and a half years where the temple is desolate in Jerusalem. Jesus talked about this. He said, he said, when you see the abomination of desolation in the Holy of Holies, you know, leave Jerusalem. He was talking about this period of desolation, this period that led to Hanukkah. So there's three periods of Old Testament history, Exodus the story of Hanukkah and the days of Noah, which are each pregnant with clues about the end of this age. And so there's going to be, there's going to be a seven-year rule of this guy who is a serpent seed, who has the power of the dragon, who brings the empires together. And then there's going to be the last three and a half years, the second half of the seven years, that's going to be a great period of great tribulation like there has never been before. And so this, this is where history is headed. And you're like, well, what's the good news? The good news is that God will shepherd us through it, as he always has his people. He will empower us supernaturally through the Holy Spirit. And he is in complete control, not only because he sits on the throne, but because he regulates the limits of the forces of darkness, like we see in the story of Job, where Satan is able to do things to Job, but has limits of what he can do to him. He, God gives him permission and puts limits on that permission. So these guys are under control, but they are going to be allowed to have this final hooray in this empire and their hybrids. They're trying to create basically a race and a system that competes with the kingdom of God and the people of God who are going to be grafted into Christ and resurrected to be this royal priesthood. And this is what I'd like to talk about next time as we bring it all together, which is what is in it for us. So God is in control. God sees us through all of this. And he is on his way with a cavalry. You know, if, you, if you look at the Song of Songs, which is a love story in the Old Testament, it's, it's a love poem. It's nearly erotic. I mean, it talks about lovemaking in very graphic terms. And they say this is this is the, the reason this is in the Bible is because this is showing God's heart for us, that God and us we, we are called the beloved of God. And in, and the way it worked is that in in the Jewish wedding a man would marry a woman and there would be an agreement that we're married now, but then he would leave her, and go and build a home for her, oh. and then come and get her, and they would consummate the marriage at that point. And so the Lord has married you know there's a new covenant an agreement we are the beloved he has gone to prepare a place for us that's what he said to his disciples in the gospel of john and he's coming back with an army like in the song of songs that comes back with an army to get us and so rescue the cavalry it's on its way this is a short-lived moment of history what we should take away is that we are living in the seasons where we're going to see this final uh empire this final world leader and the UFO phenomenon is the last stand of the fallen angels against the armada of heaven. 
And if you watch our documentary, we, we, we have this idea that there's going to be a reversal of roles, where they're going to deceive the, the kings of the earth, that there is, because there is this, you know, bad aliens coming to the earth, because they are, first of all, reinventing themselves as modern day, you know, gods or aliens. And the Antichrist is going to um, refer negatively to the inhabitants of heaven. It says that in the book of Daniel. He's going to speak against God and against his counsel and against people. And he's going to persecute the people of God. And that, I think, includes Christians, but also, but especially Israel and beyond that, Christians as a whole. So so it's like Hitler, you know, who was, was trying to do that as well. We did that. So this is going to be... Um, like the early days of the Roman Empire, where the Christians were arrested. So if you really believe in the Bible, eventually there's the mark of the beast, where he puts a uh, technology inside of us that without it you can't buy, sell, or do commerce. And so if that happens, eventually, maybe in the last three and a half years of his rule, and we're not allowed to take it, it says if you take that, your name is cut out of the book right. of life. Because I look at it as, you know, this is the first step. I think there, yeah, that's the but yeah, the sorcery, right? Because it's an allegiance to him. That's you know when you th people think of Jesus believing in him. If you believe in Jesus, you know you, you you're forgiven. That's what it says in the Gospel of John, John three sixteen. But the Greek word is pistos, and it's belief in the context of allegiance, like you accept him as your king. There are two possibilities: Satan and his chosen world leader leaders, because there's been many antichrists. Right. But there's a final yeah. one. Or the king of kings, to whom God has given a scepter of rule. That's where he has gone to receive it. Read Daniel 7. We'll see the vision of him going to the Ancient of Days and receiving. You know, actually, I'm just going to read that very quickly. It's only one verse, but I uh, feel in my spirit that I should read it. So there might be someone that needs to hear it. He says, I was watching in the night visions. Behold, one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. And brought into his presence, dominion, glory, and sovereignty were given to him. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. That will never pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So in the universe that you and I live in, Nino, this man from the tribe of Judah, the son of King David, the son of God, here he's called the son of man. And often Jesus referred to himself as son of man. He was referring to this passage, the prophecy of the son of man who was taken up in a cloud and he ascended in a cloud. And I'm saying that was one of these heavenly crafts, the glory that took him to the ancient of days. And in the world that you and I are living in, this man has been given authority over all nations, languages, and, 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 uh, and tongues, which is confirmed also in the book of Revelations, which means that whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, there has been a huge change in the world order from the dominion of the fallen angels to the scepter of rule of the Messiah. This was a long time in the making, and, and God had chosen Israel, and there was a king. But what was a surprise about God was hiding from Satan. And this is a mystery. Paul talks about this in the letter to Ephesians, that this was a mystery, that God had also decided he was going to rescue the Gentiles. It wasn't just going to be the Jews, that he's also the God of the Gentiles. And this was this mystery that when he was crucified and Satan decided to take him out, unknowingly he unlocked the atonement clause of God's laws and instructions and actually undid his own works. And then God sent the Passover lamb 
and the gospel and the Holy Spirit to the nations that were under the control of the fallen angels. And if anyone in these nations, in their heart and mind, enlightened by the Holy Spirit, pledged allegiance to the King of Kings and entered into fellowship with the living God, they would be freed from the yoke and authority, the legal authority of the fallen angels would fall off from them. And so many people in the world, starting with the Greco-Roman world, took this offer from God that the entire spiritual world order changed and their entire dominion over nations collapsed and went underground and began to operate through secret societies, yeah. no longer openly like they controlled the entire and government. now they're reemerging. Yes. And now is the time of their reemergence, correct? And now is the time of the reemergence. But God will allow one final empire to reemerge, and we're now seeing that take. But I'm, but I'm saying that it needs an economic collapse as part of the game, because in order to rebuild something from the ashes, you need to tear it down. And also, I think it needs America to become a little bit more um, equal with the other eagles. So, so it, they, everyone needs each other in the, in the house of the eagles, but. Already the entire Middle East, the ancient empires are divided between their allegiance to America or Russia. So so if, they, if an empire is created that goes basically from, it includes the Middle East as subservient nations like Egypt and Persia and ancient empires and has all the houses of the eagles from Moscow to D.C. through the European. If, if all of these guys unite, which is the statue of Babylon is Mesopotamia, Iraq, Persia. Greece, the foundation of the Western world, and Rome, this modern structure from Moscow to see. If these guys unite under the Ten Kings, the book of Revelation says when this beast arises, people will say, who can go to war against them? They will now have the power through their ten leaders, the Chinese and the, and the Indians will have to fall back and fall in line. This will be the final empire, I think. This is a theory. But I think that it's from this part of the world that these guys will arise. And then from the midst of them, the leader that will lead them all against the Son of God. So, so there's going to the be Antichrist. the Antichrist. He will rise, and he's called that in a letter, in one of the letters that John wrote. But he's called many other names, the son of perdition, the man of sin, the Assyrian. You know, Nimrod is a type of him. Uh, the king of the king of the nations. That's what they called him, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, so even 2,000 years ago, these Jewish guys... Well, this, this is all coming, and it's knocking at the door. I mean, we see it transpiring now, so we're looking at... And, and the UFOs and the hybrids, and then Israel has returned to the lands. Because, you see, the prophets of Israel, to go back to the other books, other than Daniel, that talk about the future of Israel, they envision a time where Israel in this land has a national presence, and Jerusalem is in their hands. And it is in that time that the nations under this man you know, attack Jerusalem. And, 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 and so that could have not happened until 1947. That's when, after 2,000 years, there was a national presence. And it's a fulfillment of a prophecy that a nation is born overnight, it says in Isaiah 66. And in 1967, you have Jerusalem becomes once again after... A five-day war, right? The Six-Day War, yeah. The Six-Day War, I mean, yeah. Yeah, five countries attack. Five countries attack, six-day war, Israel wins. Yes, Israel wins miraculously. Jerusalem becomes part of them. And now what's interesting is that in 1917, 
the Lord Balfour of the English uh, House of Lords writes the declaration that they will give back a portion of this land to the Jews to rebuild a nation. And and then you, t- you add 50 to that. What's 50 plus 1917? It takes you 1967. In the Bible, in the Word of God, 50 is the number of the year of Jubilee. It's a principle that God creates We're in, in that again right now. Well, it, it, well yeah. So if, after 50 years... All inheritance has been, debt is forgiven, all debt is forgiven, and all inheritance is returned. If you and I were living in Israel in the ancient times, and I ran out of money, and I owed you money, and you said, okay, you can't pay me out, you're going to have to come and work on my farm, and your farm is now mine. All of its harvest goes to me, and you will work for me until your debt is paid. And then suddenly we enter into the year of Jubilee in the calendar. All debt's erased. All the race race, I get my land back and my children inherit. That's so. So God wanted people's debts to be forgiven, and and their mistakes to be forgiven, and inheritance to be returned every fifty years. There was the year of jubilee. So in 1917, they get the land. 1967, Jerusalem is the inheritance of Jewish people's return. Now add fifty years to that, you take us to 2017, where. The leader of the world's most important country, the United States, Donald Trump, declares Jerusalem the capital of Israel and brings the American embassy and puts it there, confirming once again that this is the year of Jubilee. Inheritance. What is the ultimate inheritance of the Jubilee, the Messiah? Because the Bible's prophetic lens is when the Messiah is in the land with the Jewish people and Israel, the, the land of Israel, the people of Israel and the Messiah united, that is the moment in history where we move from the age of empire into the Messianic kingdom, where this age of history gives birth. So in 1947, when these guys came in, what started was the birth pang years. We've been waiting. We've been in the end times for 2,000 years because Peter says the end times began at Pentecost. But, but suddenly what we see is the beginning of the birth pang years, like a woman that's giving birth. And now the contractions are increasing as we're seeing since COVID, especially it seems to be increasing. And we're going to see the rise of this final empire, which I think requires not only these incredible wars that are hitting us, but also economic collapse. It, it, it requires to rebuild and to have strong leaders come out of chaos. You need chaos. And no. if, if the economy collapses, then you got chaos. So, but God will shepherd us. Even right now, God may be teaching you. So there's a lot of fun times ahead. <laughs> yeah. If God is teaching you to prepare for this, even right now, you know, he might be like, look at the wisdom they gave to the Pharaoh of Egypt through the dreams that Joseph interpreted for him. There'll be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. Then the king is like, what do I do? Joseph says, well, in the seven years of plenty, you store. In the seven years of famine, you sell. And, and so he saved his kingdom from famine and grew wealthier at the same time in the middle of this tragedy, right, wow. of, of seven years of famine. So God can lead anyone through anything. So keep your ear on God. Keep it. So the armies of heaven are coming and the UFO phenomenon. You see, now that we're living these events, God is removing the veil of perception. And we're now seeing that these chariots in the Bible we're now seeing the true nature of the angelic warfare. Everything's being exposed. Everything's being exposed. And the hybrids that have come back out of the ground, that corresponds to the days of Noah. And so the Roman Empire coming together, having war leader, the seed of the serpent, this is the world system. So mainly the battle of Armageddon, this cosmic fine finale, is between God and his angels and the fallen angels and their hybrids. We humans are the people who are being rescued the way that the Jews were rescued from Egypt. 
That's the role we play in all of this. We are the beloved. Or you can look at it like we're hostages. <laughs> we're, we're hostages. You know, it was slowly our freedoms. Were, we had a moment of freedom. The Lord declared a new world order when he, you know, he came. And that sent the Holy Spirit out. And that created a lot of freedoms for us. Especially you know, the American Republic looked at the freedoms that humanity was given by God in the book of Genesis and, and said the role of government was to ensure these rights. That was the purpose of government. Not to interfere, but to ensure that citizens would have these rights. And that inspired, you know, the Bill of Rights in Canada and the Charter of Rights, the human rights in France, which which preceded, you know. Um, so this the, is like an overview, a big picture of what's coming, what we're in to what's coming. And this, yeah. I know my audience appreciates this. This is- So the globalists, they, they have their own idea of how to create this because they've been trying to create this empire. But now that we see Russia is challenging the globalist world order and saying, you know, let's have a multipolar world. I think that sets us up. And people who look at the economy say that globalism has been dying for some time, actually underneath. So that sets us up, I think, for what the Bible has always envisioned, which is the coalition of 10 kings. That is the final government out of which the Antichrist rises. That's yeah. so I think we're seeing that we're, we're going to go towards that. That's the next thing on the menu. Then this guy comes to power. And he then rules for seven years. And then the Lord comes with his armada, and the battle focuses around the city of Jerusalem. And that's why the Jewish presence there and Jerusalem being part of it is important because it makes these prophecies literally could come true for the first time in 2,000 years. We are the first generation who's living at a time. And when you add the UFOs and the hybrids and the War of Angels, and you look, you look into what's happening in the Middle East and Jerusalem and Israel, there's so many of the signs that the Bible said would be the hallmark or the harbingers or the heralds of this age of history are upon us. And so, so this, this world order is an angelic world order. It, the humanity is part of the cosmic story. We are not just dealing with like governments of humans who just right. don't need it or something or or really bent on power. Those attributes the force of darkness tap into and fear, but there's actually a hidden hierarchy to the world order that the Bible exposes because it tells us that the world order began as these guys connected to human tribes, chose their kings, gave their laws, and created the first priest kings or the first city-states of Mesopotamia, where they began to rule. And those bodies of knowledge that were the foundation of Mesopotamian civilization got exported through a system of imperial conquest. So the Mesopotamians fell to the Greeks, to the, to the Medo-Persians, who took that information and added to it and created an imperial force based on that knowledge, on this occult esoteric knowledge of the fallen angels and the system of governance and the perversions of God's creation that they preached. The Greeks took over the Persians and they brought that to the West. That was the foundation of the West. The Romans took it from the Greeks and they spread it to Europe. The Europeans then, even after the fall of Western Rome, gravitated back to that knowledge and rebuilt their civilizations in the image of the Roman Empire. And then and then they brought it into the New World, into, into the colonies. And from Mesopotamia, through a sequence of empires, you know, the mystery Babylon, this, this mystery that tries to compete with God's ways, 
and fills the earth and all the kings of the earth have, have you know, partaken of it. And this is what the world order is that the Lord comes to destroy, the pebble that hits the ten toes and destroys it all. It's, it's the war of angels. It is the reality of hybrids. It is information from the fallen angels into the human world. It is information from God through the prophets of Israel and through his son and through the Holy Spirit. These are all things that are being poured into our, into our world. And there's a moment of reprieve between the first and second coming. But at the end of the age, there is Israel returns, Jerusalem becomes the focus, and these guys form empire, and they have a final leader. And I think that the clothing of the War of Angels is the clothing of the UFO phenomenon. So we're headed for we're a seeing that now. It's all over the news. I mean, they're bringing, the news. This, yeah, they're bringing it into our consciousness right now. That's it. Soft disclosure. They're already telling us because they're preparing us for a lie of good cop, bad cop, where the Lord and his angels will be represented as, as the bad guys. They'll say, these guys gave you religion, like Nimrod, exactly like Nimrod. Nimrod said, you know, the God that destroyed our ancestors at the flood and arrested these beings that were giving us all this knowledge, he was the bad guy. He reversed reality. This is, this is what this guy is going to do as well. He's going to reverse so the deception is going to be the Antichrist, who is a hybrid. The savior of the world. Because what is the Antichrist? Yes, I do believe that. See the What is Antichristus means pseudo-Messiah instead of the Messiah. It, we, the, this is what the UFO propaganda is. We are the saviors of the world. That's what is coming up early on from the late 1940s. But then when the real Christ comes, they're demon, they'll demonize him. Yes. And this is how they'll gather the kings They're going to flip the script. Because, because it says the kings of the earth will gather against the Messiah. It says that in Psalm 2. It says that in Zechariah 14, where the nations gather against Jerusalem and go to war with God. It says that in you know Revelation 19. It says that in Joel 3. And you think, why would the nations go to war against God? That's insane. Not if their perception of reality has drastically been altered through a lie. Right. And I think the UFO phenomenon Which, yeah. is setting up that lie. Well, Ali, this was amazing. Um, wow, this was man a huge lesson. I'm going to call this the rise of the Antichrist. Just okay, to keep great. it short. Um, thank you so much for everything. Where can people reach you? Yeah, so people can, re- if you want the detailed, I'm putting an audio series on my Patreon account, patreon.com slash thinkagainproductions. Support me there because it's a huge amount of work, and I'm going to put up audio series. Right now I'm doing it chapter by chapter study of the book of Revelation, and that's a blessing for anyone to hear it. Uh, not because it's for me, because as the book of Revelation says, it's a blessing for everyone. And you can go to my website, thinkagainproductions.com, where you can sign up for the newsletter at the bottom of it. You can leave a, you can watch the documentary. It's free. And also leave a donation if you like the documentary. At the bottom, you click on a donation button. You can leave a donation of any amount as God has blessed you, and I really appreciate that. Um, as far as homework in this conversation, if someone wants to see the last moment of imperial history and the beginning of the Messianic kingdom, all in one prophecy, read Zechariah chapter 14. In fact, I can give you a glimpse of it before I go, if, if we've got 30 seconds. You want it? Okay. So let's just quickly, because I think it's, it's a fascinating piece of writing. It says, Behold, a day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided in your midst. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to wage war. And then it says that the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in a day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. So that's where he he ascended on the Mount of Olives. He's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. 
And he's going to fight these nations that he himself brought against Jerusalem because it's a time of their judgment. He's purging the earth from this evil and uprooting it. So he's calling them to act on their evil desires. And they're going to now fall in judgment. And they're challenging the very city that God has chosen as his capital. For 1,000 years, he will rule from the city. And so then it says, it continues by saying that then all the survivors from all the nations that attacked Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. The survivors from all the nations that attacked Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacle, the last of the biblical feasts. So he's going to set up shop in the city of Jerusalem. And once a year in the Feast of Tabernacle, every nation will have to send an ambassador to Jerusalem. This is the next age of history. The Bible divides history in ages, talks about it beforehand. God has never left us in darkness. We're headed towards something real, and all of it has been real. We are just awakening and learning about this. Even the way that he defeats them, this is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. So I think that when he comes, there's a blast of some kind, his angelic army. And then they take over Jerusalem, and they usher in a new kingdom. And, and I'd like to talk about this Another time with you, perhaps a recap yeah. next time. No, no. We're, we're what is awaiting that. us? We talked about the age of empire, the Antichrist, and this war. That's all great. But where is the good news? Where does this leave you and I? And where are we headed? And what the Bible has to say about what our destiny is and what the world will look like after these events is incredible. If this is all real, then we basically hit the jackpot. We are headed towards That's utopia, and we have this incredible place in the cosmic story. God has written us in, really into great characters. Yeah. Ali, uh, yeah. thank, thank you so much. Uh, I'll be putting this up on uh, Corner.tv and YouTube. Uh, so I'll put it on Nino's Corner TV first for like a day, two days, and then boom, it's going on YouTube. So thank you so much for everything, you and you're a wonderful time. guest. And I'll see you for the last part. We're doing one more part, right? Yes, last okay. part. Okay. Here. All right, Ali. God bless you. God bless you too.